Welcome to the Journey Women Podcast. I'm your host, Hunter Bielis. Life's a journey we were never meant to walk alone. We all need friends along the way. On the Journey Women Podcast, we'll chat with mentors about gracefully navigating the seasons and challenges we face on our journeys to glorify God. On today's episode of the Journey Women Podcast, I chatted with Stephanie Reynolds about relational intimacy or intimacy within the context of all of our relationships. This conversation actually wraps up a little series on relationships that we've had going on for the past four weeks. Through conversations with guests about intimacy with God, singleness, dating, and marriage, we learned that being known involves risk, which I can be a little uncomfortable with personally, but we can take risks in knowing and being known by others because of Christ. Through faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we can actually experience intimacy with God the Father. That intimacy with Him fully satisfies us and propels us into intimate relationships with others, even though we will inevitably experience pain that comes from broken people knowing and loving broken people. As we walk in intimate relationships, we are able to forgive one another and experience reconciliation because of the good news of the gospel. It's only in Christ that we can experience true intimacy with God and others despite ourselves. God has really used this whole series to stir my affection for Jesus, and I hope that he's done that for you as you've listened along too. I cannot wait to share this final episode on relationships with y'all, but you know before I do, I have to tell you about our sponsors for today's episode, T-Bar-M Camps and Eliza Ann Calligraphy. Elizabeth Young of Eliza Ann Calligraphy always knew that God blessed her with an artistic talent and a heart for entrepreneurship. Since 2014, she's been pursuing her love of calligraphy and design by offering custom wedding invitations for the elegant and timeless bride. After your wedding, the flowers will fade and the cake will be eaten and your dress will be pressed and delicately boxed for safekeeping. But your wedding invitations will be one of the tangible heirlooms that will forever remind you of the special and holy celebration that you had on that day. From custom wedding crests featuring artwork that represents you and your fiancé, to breathtaking venue illustrations, Elizabeth can create multiple different elements for your invitations that'll make them special, personal, and dare I say, simply too beautiful for your guests to throw away. For 10% off any of Elizabeth's custom wedding invitation packages, make sure to mention that you heard about Eliza Ann Calligraphy on the Journey Women podcast. Visit www.elizaannecalligraphy.com today to submit a wedding invitation inquiry and to receive your free consultation and quote. All right, before we get on to the show, I have to confess that the sound quality of this particular episode is a little less than the Journey Women podcast norm, but I can assure you that the information itself is worth it, and a little added background noise is hardly noticeable when you're hearing from Stephanie Reynolds. That said, let's dive right in. Stephanie, welcome to the Journey Women podcast. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do? I am Stephanie Reynolds. And first of all, I'm a child of the King, and I am married to a wonderful man who is not perfect, but I'm married to Rick Reynolds, and he is the founder of Affair Recovery. He's a marriage and family therapist, and Affair Recovery is where he deals with infidelity, couples Mm -hmm. who are interested in at least looking at the infidelity in their marriage. They may not have decided if they're ready to work through it, but they're wanting to look at it, so I just support him in any way that I can. We have monthly marriage intensives. I attend those with him and just try to make myself available. If people want to talk or just wherever I can serve in that capacity, 
I have three children. Um, they're adult children. Two are married. I have five grandchildren. I have a wonderful life. It is not perfect and it is not suffering free, but with the Lord, it has certainly been a growing experience and just a beautiful experience. I also have to add that I do some volunteer work in the community. I'm the volunteer librarian at Travis County Jail. Oh, that is awesome, Stephanie. That's where I'll be zipping out to when we finish up today. And I have to tell you, that is truly my happy place. Wow. What about that experience excites you? Oh, my goodness. I've been there. Well, it'll be seven years in June. And I absolutely love what is going on there with the inmates. I teach a reading class for those that don't know how to read or those that want to improve their reading. And it has given me a window into that community. It's given me a window into those families. And I can't even tell you how much I enjoy it. And I'm an avid reader. I feel like books are just so important. Mm -hmm. And so I love sharing that with those inmates. I love seeing the light in their eyes come on when they read a book cover to cover Mm. for the first time. And for many of them, that's where they read a book the first time it is in jail, amazingly enough. I could go on and on about that. That is so cool, Stephanie. (laughs) Well, you and Rick's ministry is super potent, and I have experienced it on a personal level. Um, Brooks and I, we both had the opportunity to sit under Rick as he came and taught at our Forge School, which is the discipleship program through Pine Cove Christian Camps. And then we actually came out to your house, and I stood around the kitchen table with you. I guess it was the kitchen island And I just remember talking with you about y'all's ministry. You mentioned the marriage intensives, but what does that actually entail? Well, they take place at T-Bar-M camp. T-Bar-M has actually been a sponsor. The director of recruiting actually spoke on the episode on dating. So that's really fun. Oh, really? Yeah. Because we have been going there once a month for probably, probably going on three years now. It's a beautiful property. It is. And it's perfect for our marriage intensives. Yeah. They begin on a Friday morning. And they end on Sunday afternoon. Mm -hmm. And we have 20 couples. In fact, a week from this weekend, we have one going on. And our intensive for March is already full. But they are geared toward couples who are dealing with infidelity. Mm -hmm. And Rick and I define infidelity as the keeping of secrets. Mm. So that can cover pornography. That can cover strip clubs. That can cover emotional infidelity. Mm-hmm. It covers a broad spectrum. And those couples come in and sit under teaching by Rick. And we have three other therapists that are there also. So there's small group work. There's five couples in each group. There's small group work. There is one-on-one work with the therapist. There's teaching that is for the entire group together. Mm-hmm. And we take our meals together there. So there's a real camaraderie. Yeah, Many times those people their best friends in the future are hmm. couples that they have met at that wow. weekend. And we see a tremendous change in people, their countenance, their just their mindset, hmm. their whole emotional makeup from the time they come in Friday morning until they leave hmm. Sunday afternoon. Praise the Lord. Well, mm-hmm. I think that is one of the coolest things that I have ever heard, especially in regard to counseling. So when I was thinking through the topic of relational intimacy, like as you're describing infidelity, I'm thinking, man, that's almost like the antonym of intimacy. What is relational intimacy? This is coming on the heels of a whole series that we've been doing. And I just think it's really helpful 
for us to hear from each one of the guests how they define relational intimacy. Wow. I have talked to several friends about this, just kind of, you know, believers and non-believers, just kind of getting a feel for how people out in the world define intimacy, because I think I probably define it a little bit differently because of the work that we do. Right. But it's interesting because one of my friends commented last night, she said, you know, that question could be talked about for a week. And I said, ah, absolutely. So for me, I think it's a story Hmm. that's written by two people that have a mutually committed relationship that involves trust and transparency, a safe place where we're comfortable being ourselves. We don't have to pretend. We don't have to wear a mask. We accept each other, warts and all. Hmm. We want the best for each other. There's no manipulation. It's a really safe place for two committed in a relationship. And, you know, to me, it necessitates. There's a level of intimacy that you might have, hopefully, when you're dating. Mm-hmm. That that level is really reached, you know, once you get married. So I'm, I'm looking at it from the perspective of being married. Well, for the listeners that aren't married, for those that are single or for those that are in dating relationships, can intimacy extend into our relationships outside of marriage as well? Definitely, because I think God ordained relationships between people. Yeah. I definitely think it can. Maybe to a different degree. Exactly. Exactly. Because I've found we've been married nearly 40 years. Mm. But the level of intimacy that we have now is very different than the level that we had when we first got married and very different than the level that we had when we were dating. Yes. Yeah. I think when we were dating, we thought that we had an intimate relationship and we did. We had that dating intimate relationship because yeah. we found out things about each other. And had I not experienced acceptance from Rick with all of my warts, so to speak, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have ended up falling in love with him. I wouldn't have ended up being married to him. Wanting to partner with him. Right. But I think emotional intimacy is, is a forever learning experience. Uh, a- at least yes. it has been for me. Yes. And that's kind of what we want to move into today. What is it that we're modeling and pointing towards when we're striving to experience relational intimacy with other people? I think when Rick forgives me Mm -hmm. and accepts me, it enables me to learn how to receive God's forgiveness and his acceptance. Um, So really in that moment, he's modeling God to me. Yes, He's revealing God's mercy. He's helping me to see with my own eyes a very real spiritual reality. Yeah. And he, you know, he did that when we were dating. That that was what I fell in love with him. Right. I fell in love with him because of his relationship with the Lord. And he challenged me in that. He modeled that for me. And in, in challenging me, he spoke into my life to a certain point. So I knew that that's what I wanted as the leader for my family. Yeah. I had searched for that all my life. Yeah had never really found it to the degree that I found it with him when we were dating. Mm-hmm. It was just such a happy day when I, when I realized that. Yeah, that's so sweet. It totally makes me think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. Have you read that? Oh my goodness, yes. In fact, when my son graduated from high school, he went to a private high school, so there weren't that many students in his graduating class. Mm-hmm. That was the book that we gave each of, his, mm-hmm. each of the students as a graduation gift. Someone gave that to my husband. I think when he graduated from high school, I think it might have been his youth leader at church. Hmm. 
And yeah, great book. It is. And in the very end, he talks about this whole idea of confession and communion. And he talks about the importance of walking in confession, which is this element that you're describing in regard to intimacy, where you see the warts, where you're yeah. you're talking about those with one another. And he talks about how you can experience the forgiveness of God through your brothers and sisters yeah. in Christ as you walk yeah. in confession with them. And it is, it's such a tangible experience of God's grace in your life when we do that in the context of community. So I think that's a huge element of experiencing relational intimacy within the context of marriage and just Christian community as a whole. But we know looking back on Genesis 3, where Eve takes the fruit and eats and walks in disobedience, that intimacy with God and with man, and as a result of that intimacy, man to man, has been distorted. So what is it, Stephanie, that actually enables us to walk towards intimacy with other believers and within the context of marriage, despite the brokenness of our sin? Could I just add one more thing to what we were talking about before? Absolutely. I just wanted to add in there that transparency piece. Yes. But, you know, also, it's something that I caution women about. Mm-hmm. Not to share too much too soon. Yes, especially uh, in the context I, of dating. Absolutely. Because we want so badly to be known, and then you just yes. kind of dump sometimes. Yes. <laughs> you know, I think that if you share too soon, there's not, a, it's not safe. Mm-hmm. It's just, and it's hard to be patient I was 25 when I got married. And so I know, I, you know, I've mm-hmm. been waiting for, for what seemed like a long time. And so if you find someone that you feel that connection with, right. it's so easy to just forget about any kind of boundary yeah. and share so much of yourself. And mm-hmm. then you leave them in shock, yeah. you know, and it's just not healthy. I think there has to be a really strong level of discernment. And if you don't have yes. it, have your brothers and sisters pray that for you, you know, that you can have a hedge of wisdom and protection around you. Because I think, I think about the parable of throwing your pearls to swine. Totally. And so I just thought, I I just want to throw that out there. I think that's important. And I remember I struggled with that when I was dating and wanting to find someone because I felt a connection with them. I just Mm -hmm. sometimes would just assume they felt a connection to me and I could, you know, share too much too soon and leave them you know, running away. Right. Well, I think that often happens in our female to female relationships too. And, you know, I see that in the military, we see that a lot because the nature of our lives is so transient and we're frequently relocating and just looking kind of for someone to identify with. And so don't you think that can be a danger within our friendships as well? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think that is the beauty to me of having friends that you have history with. Mm-hmm. is that you do know there's a safety there. Yeah. I have a group of women that I've been meeting with. Honestly, we get together once a month. There might be times we have to miss it for one reason or another, but we've been meeting together for probably 10 years. So there's a safety there. Mm-hmm. We are known by each other. Yeah. And I think that having that history together gives mm-hmm. us a safe place to go. I know that in our weekends, there has to be Mm -hmm. some time together so that you start to feel safe. So absolutely. And friendships that you have to be careful about that. 
Yeah, really do. That's really interesting. That kind of hits on what I would like to move into in regard to just the brokenness that's involved in intimacy within the context of our human relationships, which really stems all the way back to the Garden of Eden, where Eve took the fruit uh-huh. and ate. And, you know, Adam and Eve were experiencing intimacy with God. And before that, even then, before they were even created, we know that intimacy, we saw that in the picture of God with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit had right. perfect intimacy. But then when the fall happened... Adam and Eve fell out of perfect intimacy with God and that relationship was distorted. So because of sin, like we have struggles in experiencing intimacy within the context of our relationships. And we, we no longer have intimacy with God apart from Jesus. And so what enabled right. us to walk in intimate relationships in spite of the brokenness of sin? I really have been looking at Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm recently, the past couple of weeks. It was back there. (laughs) Well, you know, they were the first love story. Yeah. And I think I have too often just dismissed them as kind of their individual flaws. Right. Rather than looking at their marriage Hmm. and their love story. I mean, they had a lot of suffering going on. They were in paradise. Yes. And they got kicked out. Yeah. Adam was told to leave and... Eve followed him. And I think that the strain of that, I'm trying to picture that in today's terms Mm -hmm. of maybe your husband loses his job or he is, he's found guilty of some crime that not only does he lose his job, but he's got charges against him. We have experienced men who, you know, the feds ended up coming to their place of work and taking their computer because they'd been looking at child pornography. Mm. And I'm thinking, how devastating Mm. their job was their paradise yeah and they have lost that they're kicked out and you know the wife goes with them the whole family so i I thought about that i thought even though eve was the one that took the fruit adam went along with it he didn't try to protect her he didn't try to talk her out of it or anything like that and he was kicked out Mm -hmm. and i think how difficult that must have been on their marriage totally you know and then they they leave the garden and their intimacy with God, I mean, they've lied to God. I can't imagine the strain on their intimate relationship. Mm-hmm. And I think, okay, then their son killed one of their sons. Is that not the most heartbreaking thought? We just take oh, that in and you don't really think like that would be absolutely horrific and so devastating. Oh my goodness. I, I have something, I have, you know, something in my life that I can somewhat relate to that. And I think, oh my goodness, the suffering, Hmm. the suffering that goes along with that. So I just think, you know, they didn't split up. They stayed together. You know, we're not given a lot of details about their relationship, their marriage, but we do know they stayed together. They had another son. They had Seth. Yeah. You know, and my goodness, he went on to populate the world. So I just think God restored that intimate relationship and Mm -hmm. he restored it because Jesus became the sacrifice. The promise of the coming one, yes. Absolutely. So I think, you know, there is where the cross gave us reconciliation. It bridged that gap that we would never be able to bridge. We'd never be able to be good enough. We'd never be able to work it out on our own. But, you know, blood was spilled and God's sacrifice was enough. You know, God showed unmerited favor toward us. And I think that that is where, where we've got to lay our hope yeah. because we're never going to get it right. 
No, but it does press us deeper into Jesus. Yeah. Truly, the experience of pressing into Jesus and as far as in marriage, Brooks and I just mutually standing under the cross of Christ, Amen. experiencing his grace together and Amen. that transforming our relationship is what draws us into deeper intimacy with one another. And I know Absolutely. that's the same for my friendships as well. So how have you, Stephanie, you've worked with so many different couples. You've also worked with women in the jail. Like, How have you seen the gospel transform this level of brokenness within the context of intimate relationships? Bringing people face-to-face with the reality of their sin. I think we downplay sin. Yeah. We don't view it. Yeah. Or the seriousness of what it really is. But you know what? When we deal with people who are in jail because of a crime they committed, when I deal with women who are walking in infidelity, there's no way they can sidestep that. Right. I mean, they are brought face-to-face with the sin in their life. Mm -hmm. And I think when we do that, and then we can extend God's teaching of how that can be dealt with, then knowing that God loves them as a sinner, but he hates that sin. Yeah. So I feel like I just say that over and over and over to not only the women walking in infidelity who are believers, but to people in the jail who are in there and maybe have a very small belief, a very small faith, but feel like that they're just not good enough. So many believers are walking in that lie where instead of embracing the beauty of the gospel, you feel like, man, the gospel is like a one-time event in which I'm justified and made righteous before God. But then it's so detached from the reality of everyday life. I feel like a lot of women, myself included, have lived with a false idea that that's one thing and then now we live perfectly. And so you walk in a lot of shame when you do fail, you know, and when you're not able to measure up, which happens on the daily and then you're hiding. And like you're saying, I mean, that's the exact opposite of walking in intimacy is the infidelity piece, like secret keeping and covering up and hiding in shame. You know, but we promote it even within the church. Did you know that? Yes. Because we don't talk about those kind of things. I mean, I think we're just now coming to a place where we can talk about infidelity. Especially some of those really deep sins that people like don't want to be affiliated with. We have treated them in such a shameful manner. Yes. And really, Rick talks a lot about honor-shame societies. We're not to the extent that some of the Eastern countries are where there's infidelity. They stone them and things like that. Or if they even just refuse their husband on one level or another. But you know what we've got is churches that don't talk about Mm -hmm. people being in jail. We've got churches that don't talk about walking in infidelity and what we need to do about that and embracing those people and bringing them in and saying, here, let us walk with you through this. And, you know, it's interesting because in what I do at the jail, I have found that black churches are much more accepting Mm. of people in crime than white churches are. Mm. And it's because it has so invaded their community mm-hmm. that they're face to face with it. Yeah. And they're dealing with families who have lost the father and maybe the father and the mother and they've got the kids there. So yeah. anyway, I just think broken relationships that we just need to extend that, offer that hope to them because it is available. They don't have to wallow in shame. They don't have to always be asking forgiveness for the same sin over and over and over. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
I find that to be the case. You know, if you've yeah. ever been unfaithful, then every time you pray, you're asking forgiveness for that. Yeah. Yes, you do need to be aware that that's an area of weakness for you. But God says, I'm going to honor you. Rick talks about that. We're not called sinners in the New Testament. We're called saints. Mm. So we need to walk in that sainthood. That walking in that sainthood does not include being boastful, but it, it includes humility. Yeah, and just embracing what Christ has done for us, but looking at and owning our sin. I think that's something that really moves me into pressing into the beauty of what Christ has really done for yes. us then it just, it's magnified. And we grow in humility as we recognize our desperate need for him. And he grows, you know, in our minds, he's always as big as he is, but we begin to view him more accurately. And he's magnified in our minds in the reality of like who he is and what he's actually done. Right. Just help us to live more freely because we recognize we couldn't do it, but he has done it on our behalf. So when we're talking about the gospel, how does the gospel actually change the way that we view our brothers and sisters that we're in relationship with? The gospel has taught and reminded me to take my eyes off of myself. Yes. That my relationship with someone is not all about me. Mm-hmm. I love it when I can get together with someone and I come out of that realizing I never talked about myself. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why this makes me uncomfortable doing an interview. <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I won't be on a podcast, but I'll, I'll facilitate one. <laughs> so in trying to view relationships that I have with people, yeah. I want to view it through the lens of the gospel in that to conduct myself, I'm studying Philippians right now in my, mm. in my Bible study, and 127 says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the mm-hmm. gospel of Christ. In Philippians 2, 3 says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Mm. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourself. So that is how the gospel mm. has taught me to approach my relationship. Well, I tell you, it's been a process getting to that place. But again, I do. I love it when I can come away from a coffee with a friend or even, you know, a conversation with my husband and come back and think, hey, wow, I just got to learn about them. Mm -hmm. I never did. I never talked about myself. Mm -hmm. Also, the other thing I think that in my relationships, I am learning that I can't control the outcomes Mm -hmm. in a way that necessarily makes me happy. But. I can only do what God's Mm -hmm. called me to do in in the context of that relationship. And if it's not accepted or what I have to say is is rejected, I don't control that outcome. Absolutely. I tend to have controlling tendencies. Yes. You know, that applies to my friendships with my my girlfriends, friendships with my children. Mm -hmm. Oh, my goodness. Friendships, you know, friendships with my husband. Yes. So that I, I want to I want to interact with them in a way that's in their best interest yes. so that I you know I can walk with them as they become closer in relationship and intimacy with the Lord because yeah. it brings me there. And a while ago you were talking about the more intimate you become with your husband, the more intimacy you feel with God. You know, we've heard this story several times about the triangle yeah. where each of us is at the bottom. Yeah. And the closer we grow to each other, the closer we are to the Lord. Right. And I think that that was the beauty for me when I was dating Rick, I could see that and I could feel it. Mm-hmm. And I think it's true in our relationships with friends. It's very true in relationships with our children. Yeah, There are relationships that we're going to have 
you know, the relationships with unbelievers mm-hmm. are pre-believers. But still, to look at that in light of, am I mirroring Jesus to them? Can they look at me? Mm-hmm. Am I mirroring Jesus? Mm-hmm. Do they see something different about my life? So the gospel, the gospel enables me to look at my relationships in that regard. And I just, mm-hmm. oh, I love it. I love it because I'm not an evangelist, but I, mm-hmm. but I am a friendly person mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and I'm a mood of an extrovert. So I can look at that, that this is my evangelical responsibility that I can, I can mirror Jesus to them. Yeah. And as you're talking, I'm just thinking about how when I have a gospel like view of my relationship with someone, whether it be a close friend or anybody, really, I have a more accurate picture of, okay, the reality is this person isn't going to be executing all of the things perfectly in regard to our relationship or in regard to life in general. Actually, my expectations of them might lower because you come to this acknowledgement of like, man, we are all in desperate need of the grace that has been extended to us through Jesus on the cross. And so I think as I'm looking at them through that lens, it's like, I just am so much more ready to extend grace. And really, that's like the message of reconciliation, right? And I think that's what God is using in our communities and in our marriages, kind of that tangible expression of grace, like as we extend it to one another, And as we live out the gospel with one another to really display his glorious gospel for like a lost and dying world to see, which it's such a beautiful thing. And I know that particularly in regard to your ministry with infidelity, I know a lot of people are like, well, if that happened in our marriage, like there would be no forgiveness, like that, that would be the end. And Mm -hmm. yet, Stephanie, is it just so potent to get to see reconciliation happen on the other side of something that some people would consider to be maybe the most egregious thing that they could experience or something that would be like a non-negotiable for them? Oh, you know, people who have never walked through things always make those kind of comments. People who don't have children say, well, I would do such and such with those children. Right. Well, the reality of it is wait till you have kids and then you can talk about it. Until you have walked in those shoes, I don't care if it's infidelity. I don't care if it's parenting. I don't care if it's having a child who's in prison. I don't care what it is. Until you have walked through those, God has not appointed you judge. Right. Or what's going on. Yeah. So, and even then, you're still not judged. Absolutely. I'm, I'm sure I was one of those people in, yeah, in all those different areas. definitely been guilty. There again, I think it's where we have downplayed sin. Mm-hmm. I think about infidelity. Yeah, infidelity is bad. Infidelity is terrible. And it affects a lot of people. But, you know, so does lying. Mm-hmm. Yes. So does being passive aggressive. Yeah. So does being manipulative. Gossip. Oh, my goodness. The damage by those kind of things. I just think we have so categorized sin that we have made that, you know, the worst thing in the world. One of the things you'll hear often at the jail is that officers will say, and and Sheriff Hamilton, I've heard, I heard him say this several times. He's no longer a sheriff, but when he was, he would say, we're all just one decision away from where you are talking to the inmate. Yeah. And you make one bad decision and it's a slippery slope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I know that infidelity is the same way. So that's one of the things that I try to, when I'm talking to someone who is a hurt spouse, Mm -hmm. I just try to give them a mirror so that they can look at themselves. And they did nothing that made their spouse be unfaithful. Don't misunderstand. But it is an opportunity to look at, it gave me an opportunity. I'll put it that way. It gave me an opportunity to look at myself and see, Okay, 
what what is going on in my life yeah. that is wrong, that right. I need to, if I want my relationship with the Lord to be more intimate, what do I need yeah. to do? Yes. But again, I think it's because we, you know, we don't take serious yeah. sin. Yes. One of the hard things about walking in intimacy is knowing that you're actually going to experience hurt. So how does the gospel free us up to walk confidently in being known without fear, despite the reality that when we are walking in intimacy on this side of heaven, there will be things that hurt us? Oh, wow. You know, vulnerability. I read something the other day. And I'm going to read it to you, and then I'll tell you who, who the quote is from. I thought okay. it was so interesting. It's this, vulnerability is the essence of romance. Hmm. It's the art of being uncalculated, the willingness to look foolish, the courage to say, this is me, and I'm interested in you enough to show you my flaws with the hope that you may embrace me for all that I am, but more important, all that I am not. Mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that was a beautiful quote. I've looked at it and kind of meditated on it a little bit. It's not from the Bible. Ashton Kutcher <laughs> made that statement. Nice. <laughs> I know you guys are loving this conversation with Stephanie as much as I am. And because of that, I have to tell you about today's sponsor who helped make this episode a reality, TBRM Camps. According to researchers, kids spend on average 40 minutes in meaningful conversation with their parents each week. At TBRM Summer Camps, caring adults, counselors, and mentors come alongside campers, helping them think through decisions and experiences in a way that will help prepare them for their future. Many campers actually point back to a positive role model that they met at camp who God in his grace used to help shape them spiritually. I know from personal experience that God can actually use the staff at summer camps as a means of his grace to help bring about life change. Your kids will be talking about their counselors all year long. Summer is a three-month opportunity to intentionally teach our children what it looks like to follow Jesus. And while those three months are a bit more fun, relaxed, and sun-baked than the rest of the year, we can make summer actually matter for our kids. How you spend your summer is important. Make camp a priority today. TBRM has day camps in New Braunfels, Texas, overnight camps for campers first through 11th grade, and even incredible family camps. Go check them out at tbrm.org slash journeywomen to learn all about it. Now, back to my conversation with Stephanie Reynolds. One of the things that we do in our weekend intensives is we do a lot of work in creating vulnerability because many times the unfaithful spouse has put up a wall there. Hardens up. Totally. And and we do that. We harden our Absolutely. We do that in the context of community, like all the time. With our friends, we will do that. And because we feel like that wall gives us safety. Absolutely. God calls us to a place of having a soft heart. Yeah. He calls us to a place of being willing to be hurt because that is that place of humility. Vulnerability and humility to me go really hand in hand. Absolutely. I agree. I don't think that because I so desire to have a spirit of humility because I believe that's what God teaches. Mm -hmm. First shall be last and last shall be first. I just think there's so many places where he talks about that spirit of humility Mm -hmm. and walking in that vulnerability. Mm It does set you up for suffering, but you know, mm-hmm. suffering brings you closer to Jesus Yeah, because you, through our suffering, we can, on a very, very small comparison, experience a bit of what Jesus went through for us. Yeah. 
So I think vulnerability is very important in walking in intimacy. But that's scary. It's very scary. But the motivation you're saying is that Jesus has modeled for us in his life. This is what it looks like. Right. And he's promised us that that vulnerability will be rewarded. One of the things that you do not want to do to someone who's living a life of crime is dishonor them. You're just asking for trouble. Right. They do not want to be dishonored. Right. You see that with gangs a lot of times is that one gang dishonored me. You dishonored my girl. Right. Dishonored my woman. And respect is a huge issue. Absolutely. It's don't disrespect me. Don't dishonor me. So teaching vulnerability, it's hard and it's scary. But, you know, the love of God comes in there and fills that up. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when we have to understand that God loves us in that vulnerability and his, his knowing what is best for us may lead us into suffering, but at the same time, that suffering is also going to lead us to a place of reward, a place where we would never be if we didn't walk through that suffering. Oh my goodness. As you're talking, I'm just sitting here with tears running down my face because you think there is never a more humbling, vulnerable act than Christ dying for us on the cross, literally naked on the cross, dying for us. Right. What a picture we have of true humility. And then through that, he offers us intimate relationship with God again because of that sacrifice. And so I think you're right. I think that when we model this in our relationships and when you kind of extend that to other people, it's almost like an extension of the cross to them. Absolutely. Welcoming them into intimate relationship as Christ literally has opened up his arms and welcomed us. That's exactly what forgiveness does. You know, I was thinking about in the garden the night before. Jesus prayed that the cup would pass from Yes. I mean, he didn't want to suffer. None of us want to suffer. But he knew this is the path I have to go down. So he was willing to do it. Some of us in this life will suffer more than others. You know, I look at some people and I think they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. Nothing's happened to them. Yeah. And then I look at my life and I think, Oh, could I share some of this with somebody? We need (laughs) to distribute this out a little bit more evenly. I feel like this is a little more on my side (laughs) than their side. But, you know, at the same time, suffering gives us Mm -hmm. a platform to speak Mm -hmm. from. A lot of couples that come to our weekend intensives will say, I came because when I read Rick's story, I knew he had walked the same path I had. Yes. And that's what I wanted. I wanted someone who yeah. had experienced, which is exactly why Jesus suffered. Mm. So that his was the ultimate suffering. Mm. You know, he came and he was tempted, just like man, so that we could look at him and say, he knows exactly what we're going through. And, yeah. and how much more. Yeah. That's the ultimate model is yeah. someone who has walked through it before us. So, you know, um, and Jesus says, you know, all the heavy hearted come to me. Yeah. So. Yes. Well, I think we all desire that kind of intimacy within our relationships where kind of that Romans twelve fifteen, you know, weep with uh-huh. those who weep, grieve with those who grieve. But practically, it's hard for us to get to that point in our relationships. So what are some first steps that we can take, Stephanie, to begin living that out in our actual everyday lives? Well, I think there's things that we can do starting in our own family. Mm. 
I think that it's the people that we love the most that we tend to overlook the most. Oh, I hate that, but it's so true. Yeah, yeah. I don't like that about myself. I, you know, I want my family to be the first ones that I rejoice with and grieve with. And that would be my first corner of the world because it would be my relationship with my husband, but my relationship with my children, my relationship with my friends. I want to be there for them. And then I think stepping out into the community are places mm-hmm. that we can look to do that same thing, to extend compassion to people. Yes. I've read many times, be careful about being impatient with that car in front of you because who knows what that person just went through. You know, they could have just mm-hmm. lost a child or a parent or something. Yes. Everybody, everybody has a story. Yeah. Everybody's got a certain level of pain. So I think learning to be compassionate with mm-hmm. the people that we come into contact with and, you know, with our church, people in our church family, yes. yes, the same thing that we need to rejoice with them and grieve with them. Whether or not they're grieving because of something that happened that was bad right. to their family. If you have a child that gets locked up, arrested for something, you grieve with that family. Yeah. You take a meal. They lose a, fam- they lose a family member. You take a meal. You grieve with them. Yeah. You reach out in compassion mm-hmm. and connect with them on that level. Um, the, you know, the, I think about that in reading uh, platitudes that we offer to people who are suffering Hmm. When they lose, you know, lose a, a, someone to death, you know, yeah. well, they're in a be- they're in a better place. You know, I try my best not to say that kind of comment. Yeah. Because I think, you know what? I want to grieve with them. Right. I want to meet them where they are. So I think that that's a place to start. Yeah. You're looking at your family, at your church, at your friends, your corner of the world, your neighborhood, the people that live around you, the people you have contact with, mm-hmm. the people at the grocery store. Yeah, absolutely. When a community is really living like this, like what we've been talking about, when they're experiencing the intimate experience of grieving alongside one another, doing life together, how does that fulfill what Christ has called us to do on this earth? Well, this is my favorite place to talk because I think God has called us to serve. Mm. In Ephesians, he says, for where his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Yeah. You know, many times the service that God brings into your life or brings you to is a direct result of the suffering that you've had. Mm. You know, I have friends who have experienced miscarriages and they really have a heart for women who are walking through that. And there's a ministry there for them. You know, people who have experienced infidelity have a, a heart for those who are walking in infidelity. Serve those people, you know, be there for them. Be that that arm that reaches out and ministers to them. And I think also, you know, when we're single and we've got relationships that go south, oh, my goodness, that can be sometimes if you've dated for a long time, it's like a divorce. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I just think those women, those men, once the healing takes place there, they've got a a platform to speak from. And so I, I think that when we're living like Jesus is talking about, and grieving with those who grieve and celebrating with those who celebrate, then we're going to look for places to serve. We're going to look for those to serve mm-hmm. in our community. And we're going to rejoice in that suffering that we may have gone through because we know that it gives us a ministry. It produces endurance and character. And yeah. then it gives, and you know, on top of that, it gives us hope. And that that's the best of all because hope doesn't disappoint us. 
Yes. Yes. I completely agree. And I'm thinking of Mark 10 45, as you're talking, just that for the son of man didn't come to be oh, served, yeah. but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And I think when we really live with that service oriented, it's not about me mindset, then we're able to walk in relationship, just like what we're talking about with that God's glorious gospel in display on our life. Cause we're placing our hope, like you're saying in his life, his death and his resurrection and the reality oh. that he will come back and he will bring his kingdom to earth. And one day we will no longer be living in the broken reality of intimate relationships. One day we will live in perfect harmony with one another, able That's to God. collectively worship our King and our father. Um, and I, just I long for that day and I want people to experience on this side of heaven what it looks like to be able to walk in freedom in their relationships embracing the beauty of the gospel and that's really the heart behind this whole entire series because I really believe and you see this I think in your ministry all the time Stephanie where we live instead of living in light of the gospel we're living you know not experiencing the fullness of the beauty of the gospel in That's our that. intimate relationships with our people and we're That's missing that. out on the reality that even though we have a hope to look forward to in the day in which we will be in perfect relationship with each other and with god we can experience a taste of that and a foreshadowing of that on this side of heaven. And as we do, that we're actually able to model intimacy with God through his son, Jesus, with other people. And that, like you said, is a testament to his grace in our life, because there is no other way that we can ever experience intimacy on this side of heaven, right? Apart from Jesus, like it will be a lesser degree. It will not be full. It will not be rich. Like the intimacy that we experience because of what he has done to us and for us. And so it fires me up to think about women desiring to walk intimately in relationship. I'm starting to get a little teary thinking about like maybe some women re-examining like, am I really walking intimately in my relationship with my spouse and my relationship with my kids and my relationship with my community within my church? And to just take what they've heard from you and from the other gals um, throughout this whole series and just to seek to practically implement maybe some of that uncovering and to experience the grace of God as they do so through their brothers and sisters in Christ. So, Stephanie, do you have any resources that you would recommend to somebody who is wanting to grow in this area of their life? Well, I do. The first thing I would say is it's always good, I think, to take I take a probiotic. Ditto. I feel like it has been really good in keeping me from getting sick this winter. My husband, on the other hand, does not take one, and he's had three colds. <laughs> and I said to him, you know, the probiotic is in the refrigerator. I can't <laughs> poke it down your throat. <laughs> so I think, I think, what is it, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure? Nice. I think visiting a therapist. Yeah. Finding a good Christian therapist. Yes who is going to process things with you and is going to look at it from a biblical basis. I just think that is Mm -hmm. really a great thing to do. I so agree. Stephanie, how do people prioritize that? I mean, from a financial standpoint, most of my friends who really desire to go to therapy, the biggest hangup for them is the financial piece. Do you have any suggestions? 
as I was saying that, I was thinking, well, that's easy for me to say. You know, I have a, I have a free therapist who lives with me. Yeah, so. that rocks. That's <laughs> yeah. what my mentor in college would always say. She was like, you know, having a therapist is awesome. What's even better is having a best friend who is a therapist. Yeah. <laughs> well, I always say with the dysfunction in my family, I had to marry a therapist. You know? so, <laughs> God yes. That was God ordained from the beginnings. Well, one thing I know that you can do, um, a lot of times churches have therapists yeah, on staff. We do at our church here, which is awesome. Yeah, and oh, and you don't even have to, you know, there are churches that they don't require that you go to that church even. Yes. And there's uh, many times there's a sliding scale. So I would investigate that. Yeah. I would strongly recommend one who is, is approaching it from a, a biblical basis. Absolutely. There also are therapists in the community who work on a sliding scale. It doesn't have to be in a mm-hmm. church. So that's what I do. Do your research, peeps. It's worth yeah. it. And even then, yeah. ask her for your birthday. I seriously, straight up, my mother-in-law, she's so great. She always asks, like, what do you want for birthday? And I was like, you know what? This is when Brooks and I were really struggling. I was really wrestling through what is my purpose, like, in this military lifestyle. I just, oh, I have yeah. no clue how to exercise my design in this foreign culture. <laughs> and uh-huh. I went and saw a therapist in Austin. You probably know her. Uh-huh, I do. <laughs> and, and my mother-in-law footed the bill for that for my birthday present. So what just humble yourself. Ask for help. Yeah. yeah, I hadn't <laughs> thought about that. That's a great idea. The next thing that I would say, and this is, it's geared toward married couples, but I did it as a single. Find a marriage enrichment program. Yes. Intimate life, family life, family dynamics. Now, I don't know um, how many of those actually will take single people. Mm -hmm. But before Rick and I got married, there was a marriage seminar. It's no longer the guys have retired. Mm -hmm. But another girlfriend and I went to a marriage seminar. That's so great. Just to get a realistic picture of like, this is what, if you're dating, this is what you would be walking into if you end up like choosing to partner with somebody in life. Yes. Lots of fun. It was really fun having a girlfriend with me because we could kind of process things together, you know? So yeah, I would recommend that. That's a great idea. The last thing I would recommend is finding a support group. Yeah. Whether it's girlfriends. I know you, I, this is yeah. one of the things I thought was so beautiful about the Forge was that y'all had each other. There totally. was a closeness there. And I, it's going to be different at each stage of your life. Mm-hmm. Hold it open-handedly. Exactly. Be willing to flex and adapt. It might be the moms on the playground right now for right. a lot of the listeners. You know, it's going to mm-hmm. be transformed different ways. And I'm the oldest woman in the girls group that I'm with, but one of them's got now finally got a son in college. Then we've got some that still have little, not toddlers, but mm. kind of pre- preschool ones. Yeah. I learned from them. They hold me accountable. Iron sharpens iron. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, that mm-hmm. those friendships, those friendships mean so, Agree. so much to me. Agree. I would look for something like that. I mean, you call it an accountability group. Call it just, we're the googly girls. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> That's excellent. Yeah, just call it whatever you want. But yes. uh, we have, you know, we don't have a real strict format, but we have a little bit of a format. Yeah. Rick's got an accountability group, two or three other pastors. and That's so great. So, yeah, that is, that is wonderful. And as singles... You know, it, that's not too hard to find. I mean, you've got more time on your hands. It's true. Uh, than women who have children. The other thing I would say, too, is that there are some good books. Mm-hmm. I have to say that. I'm a librarian at the jail. I have to say there are some good books. 
Well, I'm an avid reader as well. It's definitely one of my simple joys. And that's another one of the questions that I like to ask every single guest that comes on the show, because I just think it's fun for listeners to get to know you a little bit better. So Stephanie, what are three of your simple joys in life? Three. Oh my goodness. That's just not fair. (laughs) My husband, my children, my grandchildren. Okay. There you have it. You know, but it's just so much more than that. So this morning I was just impressed that, you know, my greatest joy Mm. and I have to say I struggle with it sometimes, but I always desire it is God's word. Yes. That is just my greatest joy. One of the beauties of God's word, I think is that when we're, you know, when we're hungry, at, like in the morning, you get up and sure. I'm a breakfast girl and yeah. I get up and I'm hungry and I eat and I'm full, mm. you know, that's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. But with God's word, I read God's word and I'm hungrier and hungrier and hungrier. Yes, I never want to set I, it down. I think that's, the, that's one of the mysteries of God's mm-hmm. word is that mm-hmm. it fills us up, but yet it leaves us still hungry. And I, I just, you know, I love that. I want to. You know, I don't, I don't want to do it on the fly. A lot of times I listen to, you know, my daily Bible on my phone as mm-hmm, I'm driving mm-hmm. into the jail. And, and that's great. I, don't, I, yeah. want to, I want to meditate. I want to, yes. you know, chew on it and process it. And that's really my number one joy. Um, my, second, my second joy would be my husband. Aww. I love spending time with my husband. He is the delight of my life. I always say, if something happened to him, I would definitely marry for money. Because I've already had the love of my life. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I just want to caveat that because I know a lot of listeners are, you know, we have a lot of listeners who are walking through divorce right now. We have a lot of mm-hmm. listeners who are struggling with um, an unbelieving spouse. And I... this relationship that you have with Rick is not something that has come apart from struggle and hardship. Oh, no. This is something you've really fought for. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, we dealt with infidelity 32 years ago, and I thought it was the worst thing that could ever happen. You know, I was devastated. I I was crushed. I was disappointed at all those adjectives. I was. Mm. You know, I thought there was no recovering from it, but God spoke hope. And it sounds like the intimacy that you experience is even more rich and full as a result of like embracing one another, right? exactly where you were. So that's, I just wanted to caveat that because I think listeners will benefit even more so from knowing a little piece of your story. So, all right, hit me with it. Do you have your last simple joy? My last simple joy would have to be books. Yes. (laughs) Just reading. Oh my goodness. You know, I look around, I go, so many books, so little time. I mean, (laughs) yes. You know, one of the things I tell the guys at the jail, so many of them, you know, didn't grow up with books. Yeah. Some of them did, but you know, a lot of them did. Yeah. They're willing to read anything. Hmm. And I I tell them, I say, you know, try to develop a little bit of discernment about what you read. I mean, there's Mm -hmm. just a lot Mm -hmm. of, there's a lot of just fluff and trash out there. Totally. Because the thing about it is at the age I am, I tell them, I don't have that many years left. So I'm very careful about the books I read. Yes. (laughs) I want to make sure I'm spending my time wisely. Yep. I don't want to leave out my children and my grandchildren because they are the joy of my life. That's so wonderful. Well, Stephanie, you have had an impact on so many people, myself included. And I also just love to hear from guests. Who is it that's had the greatest impact on your own journey with Jesus? My husband. Mm. You know, in spite of walking through infidelity, my husband has mirrored Jesus to me Hmm. so many, so many times. Our first year of marriage was really tough. Hmm. I had a lot of passive aggressive tendencies. 
I'd been single and supporting myself for a good while and had been, you know, relatively mm -hmm. successful. And I continued to work, but I felt like he should understand my needs. And he would accuse me of, I'm not a mind reader. Yeah. That first year in particular, I, so many times he would say, let's, let's, let's just read the Gospels and see what Jesus has to say about this. Oh. I can tell you there were plenty of times that I said, mm, no, no, thank you. I don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah. I'm not embarrassed to say that because yeah. you know what? It's to the glory of God that I am where I am now. Yes. Because I came from a place that, you know, God had to bring me from. Yes. Well, his glorious gospel is so on display in you and in your relationship with Rick. And I'm just so honored that we got to hear from you today. Thank you so much, Stephanie, for being so vulnerable with us and modeling what it looks like to walk in intimacy, even to a certain degree with the listeners today. So what a gift. Well, thank you, Hunter. This has blessed me more than it has blessed you or them, I guarantee you. Y'all, that does it. Hey, thanks for hanging in there with the sound quality today. If you've been here for a while, you know that that's not characteristic of our normal show. But if you're new, don't let today's sound quality dissuade you from checking out the other episodes in the archives. This particular episode officially completes our first series ever on the Journey Women podcast. Hey, if you found these conversations helpful, please head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review. It helps get Journey Women into the hands of other women on their journeys to glorify God. To continue chatting with us throughout the week, find us on Instagram or Facebook at Journey Women Podcast or at Journey Women Pod on Twitter. As always, you can find everything that Stephanie and I chatted about in the show notes at journeywomenpodcast.com. Thanks so much for allowing us to journey alongside you guys. We can't wait to see you here next Monday. <laughs>